He has a book called Free Will Isn't Real, too. Check it out. It's only 90 pages. Not many people are going to ride with that concept, but it's a fun one for sure. So we should just not talk football today, right? We just... Yeah, we just uh, we just chill, philosophize. I'm getting my mind expanded by Loppy uh, in the moments leading up to this show. I, yeah, how do we talk about football? No, I'm, I'm joking. What's up, guys? Great to see Marathon you. Marathon matchup show, baby. What's going on, everybody? Dave Lochran here with Matt Savoca. Another week, another Thursday, another edition of the Marathon Matchup Show. Week nine. We are more than midway through the season already. It's insane. Got 11 games to talk about. And Matt mentioned this before we went live. Man, what a weird slate it is on so many different fronts. And now you've got Aaron Rodgers out with COVID for this showdown against the Kansas City Chiefs, which had by far the highest total on the slate prior to this uh, prior to this news. Yeah, absolutely. And I submitted an alternative version of my articles this week. And unfortunately, the Osmo editors did not approve them. So I'm also going to have to do my normal version. Just as A-Rod is, he is out for this game. Uh, There was some wild news in the the 24-hour news cycle of the NFL, but it still puts a damper on what would have been the premier matchup of this slate. No question. Now, Maybe in a way it still will be, Matt. We'll find out. It's still possible that this game can get interesting. Jordan loves $4,400. Aaron Jones is a stud. Devontae Adams is expected back at practice today. You never know. I mean, here's what I can say. The Chiefs defense is so ungodly disastrous that I wouldn't even be shocked if Matt LaFleur, who I think is a good enough play caller, uh, good at designing plays around what's on the field, can get it done. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers is also the guy that can take not very good players and make them look very good. So we'll see how it plays out, but we'll get to that and a whole lot more. Before we do, we're happy to have you guys with us. Hit that thumbs up if you're just walking in the door. If you haven't subscribed yet, we're working our way up to 70,000 subscribers. Thanks to all of you joining us each and every day. It makes this fun and a whole lot more enjoyable when we know that you guys are going to be here watching these shows with us. They'll always be free no matter what. We're always going to do our best to give you the best content out there on YouTube for free. But when it comes down to it, we combat those YouTube overlords and the algorithm here on the channel. And you can help us by hitting that thumbs up and subscribe. And if you want to join, has nothing to do with that. But if you want to join the team, hit that join down below under the thumbs up. Get the custom emojis of uh, all of us and and the badges that improve over time and look pretty sexy Of course, priority access to all of our questions, comments, and shout outs. So if you're into that kind of thing, hit us up. Join the team. Matt, let's dive into this. 11 games to touch on today. First one, and we're going by totals here, which was your idea. I like it. Minnesota getting six against Baltimore. So on the early slate, the highest total is still sub 50. We're at 49 and a half. Minnesota coming off. Really an ugly and, and dare I say, embarrassing loss to the Dallas Cowboys with Cooper Rush at the helm over Dak Prescott. Justin Jefferson laid an egg. Adam Thielen was fine. Dalvin Cook was non-existent. What do we expect for them this week in Baltimore as touchdown dogs against the Ravens? Hey, I mean, it's really concerning here. I was writing that they were clinging to the seventh seed in the NFC going into last week, and then they were gifted uh, backup quarterback game by the football gods, and they still weren't able to pull off a win here. All the credit in the world 
to the Cowboys, to Cooper Rush. And, you know, bottom line is the Minnesota defense is not terrible, but they're exploitable, clearly. In schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, they're right at league average. But as we saw last week, they are susceptible to the pass. And so, you know, I, I think there there's, you know, an argument that you can get more shootout potential here, especially with the way that the Baltimore offense has been playing. But also, I do expect to see more offensive firepower out of Dalvin Cook, out of Kirk Cousins, out of the two premier receivers, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. I particularly like Justin Jefferson this week, although his projection is actually a little below his salary-based expectation on DraftKings. I'm still going to get to him as a solid ceiling play. The, the thing about Dalvin Cook is, in contrast to the rest of this slate, and he's – $7,700. That's really not that expensive for cook. He's kind of been, well, last week he was $7,700, but to start the season, he was in the nine K range, Matt. So now you've got him down there. We'll talk about Christian McCaffrey shortly. Uh, he is not activated to the 53 man roster yet. So we'll have to pay attention to that it was limited, highly limited according to Matt rule in practice. So just because he's designated to return doesn't mean he necessarily plays this week. So you have Dalvin Cook sandwiched in between guys like Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones on DraftKings. Where would you rank him among those three? Yeah, amongst Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones. Man, I think he's probably closer to the bottom of that list. Not to say I think he's so a bad too. play. He's not unplayable by any means. And it's not like the Baltimore defense is at their best version of themselves this year. They're really right in line with league average in that metric schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. But still, you know, expected fantasy points, that's the volume metric I look at scaled on a scale we can all understand fantasy points. He's seventh among running backs on the slate. And he's fourth in salary, and he's performing below expectations over the last five weeks uh, in the games that he's played. So not to say he's a bad play, not to say he isn't going to get a large amount of Minnesota's usage, but just compared to the others in his salary tier, he's only a so-so play. Is there anybody else for uh, Minnesota, or should we start talking about Lamar Jackson here and Marquise Brown, who, by the way, has, I mean, he has absolutely outperformed my expectations personally, particularly from a volume standpoint. And I think when you look at this Baltimore team, I'm not sure there was anyone out there that actually bought into the fact, Matt, that Greg Roman was, was going to, to look to throw the football more. Now, some of this you could attribute to game script for sure. But at the same time, they are throwing the ball enough to where we can look at some of these guys each week and go, hey, you know what? He actually does have an opportunity to get to say, I don't know, 10 targets right now uh, as in terms of game script adjusted rush percentage, Baltimore's got to still be at the top. Yeah. They're still towards the top around 50%, but we have seen some really huge games from receivers like Brown and Mark Andrews this year, which kind of just lends to the idea that against Minnesota, I'm not fading these guys just because they've been a, a run-heavy team, but they also throw the ball a decent amount. Yeah, they're a run-heavy team, but they're throwing to their main guys. Exactly, Marquise very Brown concentrated. And, yeah, And Mark Andrews, enough for them to be viable. And you hit the nail on the head. In my opinion, the biggest difference is that the volume for these big players is at the level of other premier you know, number one alpha wide receivers. In expected fantasy points, we're finally seeing Marquise Brown get to that level he was drafted to be. He's number five 
among all wide receivers on the slate in expected fantasy points. And that's what happens when you have 10 targets in week five, five targets in week six, yes, but then 14 targets in week seven. We're playing a player who has a 14-target ceiling in pretty much any matchup here. Now, I realize we kind of jumped the gun. Adam Thielen and in large field tournaments, KJ Osborne are playing just because of the shootout potential, but that has to do with the fact that now we have these monster ceiling games in the range of outcomes from not just Lamar Jackson, but from Brown and from Andrews, who has a 40-point game on his resume this year as well. I mean, I really like a a lot of these plays. And certainly, if I'm looking for a a game stack, I'm going to this game. Now, it's not going to be contrarian. It's one of the highest total games on the slate, but there's there's a lot of fantasy goodness that could be had here. There really is. And again, a 49 and a half point total for this slate is actually pretty high. Right, right. I mean, Marquise Brown, and we can we can wrap up with this. Marquise Brown has had some really big target games. And it's funny because if you look at his salary, you always talk about, you know, kind of salary compared to projection. I'm sure it's fine. But ultimately, against Detroit, we talked about this often. Should have had three damn touchdowns. He didn't. But even aside from that, he's made a couple huge touchdown grabs like last week. Amazing grab in the corner of the end or the back of the end zone. 14 targets against the Chargers. Five targets. But what's that matter? It, they were down. They were getting crushed. Uh, against Indy, Matt, in a game they won in overtime. Double-digit targets. Double-digit targets against Kansas City in a game that they won. So, yes, Marcus Brown has legitimate double-digit target upside. He is a deep ball threat that can get huge huge splash plays all of that makes him pretty appealing to me against minnesota and i think at a tight end position that is super wonky this week um with travis kelsey you know kind of injecting some some fear into the hearts of fantasy players i I don't think he should but he has been darren waller's volume this season outside of the first game has been down kyle pitts in this offense against new orleans i mean that's kind of scary Maybe Mark Andrews makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah, you got you got to look at Mark Andrews this week. Third in the NFL at his position in target share at 22.9%. Uh, in air yard share too, he's number six in the NFL. And then in expected fantasy points among all tight ends on the slate, I was shocked to see Mark Andrews at number one. Uh, this looks at the last five weeks, but in expected DraftKings points, Uh, Again, that includes that monster game against Indianapolis, which does sway things a little bit, but still 17.6 expected DraftKings points and performing above expectation over the last five weeks. It's just nothing to scoff at. Now, you said it. The projection is a little below the salary-based ranking here. He's tight end four in salary, but still, that's just 5,500. We can fit 5,500 in salary onto our DraftKings lineup, and the ownership is modest, honestly, for Andrews. Right now, it's projected at 8.5%. That's only seventh among tight ends, probably because there are other options, other flex options in that salary range people are looking towards, but still, if I can get some Mark Andrews in a potential shootout where not a lot of other people have him, Now we're talking about a really solid tournament play. For sure. It is interesting, too, that on this slate specifically, Marcus Brown is is fifth in fantasy points per game this season at wide receiver and is the 15th highest priced wide receiver. I think I may have included Ridley in there. I kind of just counted down real quick. But still, like he's he's outperformed a 6K price tag in most games. What are you thinking with um, 
Lamar Jackson this week. When is it uh, not okay to play Lamar Jackson? I guess if he his legs are really injured because the rushing upside is so high that I'm always going to be looking to play him in tournaments. His projection is ahead of salary-based expectations. Yes, he needs a huge game uh, to really hit value, but still, you know, number two on the slate in expected fantasy points per game. And I would call him a positive regression candidate because he's actually, over the last five weeks, performing slightly below that expectation. And I don't really see anything in his underlying metrics to suggest that his play has slipped here. So against a Minnesota defense that, as we said, is just league average in schedule-adjusted fantasy points, there's nothing to take me away from Lamar Jackson, especially at the QB4 on DraftKings this week in salary. That's what See, that's what always kind of blows me away. Would have been the QB5 if Aaron Rodgers was healthy uh, or active. He's, again, it, it feels like a lot of the, these Baltimore players in terms of salary aren't where they should be. So... Uh, I'm always okay to get to Jackson. I love a skinny stack with him and Marquise Brown or him and Mark Andrews. And then, I mean, whenever you want to run it back with like a Justin Jefferson coming off a bad game, probably not getting a ton of ownership this week. I like it. I think, I think this could be uh, a phenomenal game stack. Where where's ownership at? Yeah. Look, dude, Justin Jefferson right now is at 5%. Marquise Brown is at 8%. This is not going to be Andrews is at 8%. Rashad Bateman is at uh, 4%. This is not going to be a very popular game, at least right now, Matt, unless that changes. It's not going to be a mega chalk game at all. Yeah, I think it's because we don't have a ton of really easy, free square, low salary options. So if you do end up game stacking here, you're going to have to get weird with the the bottom of your lineup, essentially. But it's not impossible. So, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is a great, great spot to stack around in tournaments. Any last thoughts on Rashad Bateman? Uh, you love to see a rookie get this much usage early in his career. That's all we can really say at this point. We don't know if he's going to break out all over the place, but you know, ultimately, you like to see a 17.6% target share in just two games played. You know, He's still at just a 62% snap share. The most routes he's run is 23, and the most targets he's seen is 6. We haven't seen anything here, and he already has a double-digit fantasy point game on his resume. Nothing but good signs, but he's still just a, you know, he's a dart throw still. All right, let's keep it going then. Um, that game is interesting though, man. I just, I, I didn't know how much I liked it until we kind of talked through and looked at ownership. There's a lot there for sure. I'm going to have to look at the boom bust tool and see where they're popping up as well. Denver and Dallas, the Denver Broncos getting 10 points, Matt, against Dallas. And again, welcome to all you guys that are just joining in now. These are the ride or die people with us through the marathon show. Make it all the way to the end each and every week. We appreciate you. No doubt about it. Uh, doesn't go unnoticed, but yeah, Broncos 10 and a half or 10 point dogs, 49 and a half point total. I know Judy's back, but is this one of those games where Cortland Sutton, because 55% of his total fantasy points have come in three games and all three of those games, Matt, were spots where they lost by more than a touchdown. So he leads the league in deep ball attempts. It, 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 is this a spot where Cortland Sutton needs to get peppered in order for them to be able to try and keep pace? Huh. I think they should pepper Cortland Sutton, but I've been saying that all year long. So yeah. I guess what we're really seeing is what do you believe that the offense looks like against a Dallas defense that is much improved? In fact, an expected points added 
by opposing offenses, Dallas is now a top 10 defense in the NFL. I mean, they're nothing but impressive so far. So you do think that, especially if Dallas gets Dak Prescott back, they're going to score points, and therefore Denver needs to do their best to keep pace. I just, I just don't know. I, I can't see any rhyme or reason to why Cortland Sutton has these multiple down weeks, and then suddenly he's leading the NFL in air yards and one of the league leaders in targets. Uh, we'd love to see it. A player like Sutton who has that high of a ceiling of usage is certainly someone will play, but it's not somewhere I have to go today. Yeah, I don't think you need to. I will say, though, if Noah Fant is out with COVID, uh, he leads the team with 11 red zone targets this year. Cortland Sutton's not far behind with nine. So does he become the clear premier number one red zone target, assuming they get there? I think he does. I, I actually do think it would make it better for him. So um, I don't look at him as a priority, Matt, but I do think Cortland Sutton is is totally fine in, tor- in large field tournaments because I'm not sure anyone's going to want to go there. And I think they're going to have to throw. I don't know if there's going to be any recourse there with Dak Prescott back in the mix. What do you think about anybody else on this team, whether it be the running backs, Judy, Tim Patrick, anybody, or, or I mean, if Noah Fant ends up not playing, uh, is this a spot where we say, you know what, maybe, maybe we look to the tight end position real cheap and go with our boy Albert O. Yeah, I don't hate Albert O as a play. I mean, in fact, the projections really, really like him, especially when you consider his salary is 2600 on DraftKings. I think we're going to see his ownership rise, especially if Noah Fant is ultimately ruled out for this contest. But I don't hate the idea of even going to Jerry Judy, who was peppered with opportunity before he went down in week one. Uh, I'm just looking at it right now. In week one, he had 27% of air yards and 20% of the targets. You know, uh, Tim Patrick is a much lower probability play, in my opinion, but I'm seeing that the projections for both Judy and Patrick, as well as Albert O, are all ahead of salary-based expectations. So right now, our projections are not giving a ton of credit to the increased play, the improved play of the Dallas Cowboys defense. And I'm kind of seeing the same thing in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. Again, that just contextualizes the points they've given up for the offenses that they're playing. They are literally smack right in the middle at league average. So, you know, we're again, we're not changing things. It's really about the Dallas offense, which version of them shows up. Because as we said before, if Dallas pushes the tempo and pushes the scoring, Denver will be forced to as well. I'm with you. Hey, Ray P. Awesome, man. Nice little hefty super chat there. Appreciate you, brother. Hey, thank He's, you. Yeah, thanks. Just a little appreciation for all you do. Had a great NFL DFS Sunday. These shows are a huge help. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for watching, man. Thanks for hanging out with us. Appreciate you. Um, Dallas side of the football map with Dak Prescott back. Didn't really matter last week against just a totally hapless Minnesota secondary. My God. That was brutal. Makes me like Baltimore even more, you know. A Cooper Rush opening things up for for Dak or for I'm sorry for Amari who had really been been slow to get off the ground recently, and and, and C.D. Lamb who's nursing an injury, but I think he'll be fine. I mean, these guys both had big games, and we had not seen that recently. Been a lot of Dalton Schultz and been a lot of the running backs, but now you come into this game against Denver as ten point favorites. Do we go back to the wide receivers here for Dallas? I think we can. 
I mean, Amari Cooper still has a pretty modest salary on DraftKings, 5,700. I'll take that. Right now, his ownership, obviously, he just had a big game in prime time. People were watching. And so you're going to see his ownership start to climb here. But still, a 17-point game for 3x value, that's absolutely in his range of outcomes. You know, And now we're talking about the 16th highest salary wide receiver. Sure. Uh, apparently, Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush have some different tendencies that you know that that's natural when we see changes at the quarterback position but it was clear that rush was willing to let the receivers just go up and make catches and it worked fantastically prescott usually is looking more for the open man taking the check down option which is why we see dalton schultz consistently getting targets this year schultz is still a great play at tight end six on the slate 4800k on DraftKings. In expected fantasy points, he's ahead of salary base expectations, 12.8 DraftKings fantasy points for your tight end. Yeah, I'll take that all day. And then finally, C.D. Lamb, the most expensive of the bunch, but you can still definitely play him. He needs a huge game, but I'm seeing modest ownership. Right now, it's projected at 8.3%. Um, you know, the way Lamb gets there, though, is touchdowns. Right now, he's really outperforming his expected fantasy points. His 6.1 fantasy points over expected over the last five weeks is number two among all wide receivers. Not to say he can't keep that efficiency rolling, but the volume has indicated that he's actually outperforming a little bit. Not to say I won't be getting any of him. It's just a little bit tougher with that highest salary and the fact that I know he needs efficiency to get there. What about in the run game, Matt, if you want to put a bow on this game right now? And, and this is subject to change. It's still Thursday. We got a few games, a few days before things change. Right now, Ezekiel Elliott is the highest projected own running back. Yeah, I get it, man. I was looking at the boom bust tool and I fully expected him to be like a pretty obvious cash game play because his Projection is well ahead of his 7K RB7 salary-based expectation, but he actually has a positive leverage score, meaning his odds of being in the, in, in the optimal lineup this weekend outpace his projected ownership. Now, that could change before Sunday, but that just shows how good, how strong of a play at his salary Ezekiel Elliott is, totally deserving of the RB1 in projected ownership. I will say... The Broncos are third best in the NFL in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, but so far this year, they have been more exploitable via the running back position than wide receivers. So uh, you, you just got to have Elliott in your player pool, whether it's cash or tournaments. All right. Now we get to Buffalo-Jacksonville. Emmanuel Sanders, zero receptions for zero yards last week, Matt, against the Dolphins team that prior to last week was dead last in like most metrics when it came to pass defense. It was bad. I mean, they were allowing over 300 passing yards per game. I I don't know what to make of that. They still ended up winning handily. So it kind of just is what it is. It's a divisional game. Second time they faced each other this year. That's what I chalk it up as, but ultimately, I mean, Buffalo is still a potent dynamic offense. You still have, I know I've been getting a lot of questions over on our fantasy football channel. Check that out, by the way, and and, uh, and subscribe if, if you're into season-long stuff because we have a lot of fun doing great videos and, and live streams over there. But you have someone like Zach Moss who clearly appears to be taking away uh, the uh, most of the role from Singletary. He even has seven targets last game, which is pretty significant. 
And then you have someone like Dawson Knox, who's questionable right now, isn't participating in practice yet. And Tommy Sweeney actually saw four targets last week, ran a route on over 70% of dropbacks. He was involved despite not getting a red zone target, even though they weren't there too often. So kind of a weird spot for Buffalo, but they're laying more than two touchdowns against Jacksonville. Exactly. So, you know, when you have a favorite this large, of course, it'd be even better if they were a home favorite just because of the correlations being higher. But of course, you can play a 3,100 uh, 3,100 tight end, tight end 15 on the slate in Tommy Sweeney. So I'm glad you brought that up. But of course, we're still looking at the premier options from the Buffalo offense in this game. I'm all over Stefan Diggs. I still think we haven't seen anything close to the ceiling performance. I was tilting my face off until they had that late touchdown last week, saved a bunch of my lineups, I will say, uh, with the Allen Diggs stack. But I still think that Diggs every single week, especially against one of the worst defenses in the NFL, has 30-plus upside in this spot. So I'm going to be getting to a ton of him in cash games, in tournaments here. 7,700 is just too low for the type of ceiling game he can he can provide us this week. And yeah, you mentioned it, Emmanuel Sanders. If you look at expected fantasy points, he grades out almost like a team's wide receiver one. He's 15th overall Crazy. on the slate in expected fantasy points. And like you said, he's performing below expectations. Uh, he's popping in a bunch of the industry's breakout receiver models. Uh, and so I'm definitely inclined to go there, but I did notice that the projections are for Sanders are actually outside the top 25 wide receivers. Doesn't mean you can't go there. I mean, against the Jacksonville defense on our top stack value ranking, they're number one. Of course you can play Sanders, but I like him better in a stack with Allen or with other Bills players. And then Cole Beasley is just too too low in salary, in my opinion, in this plus matchup. The projections have him inside the top 15 while his salary is wide receiver 20. I got to tell you, though, Matt, last week it didn't play out too well for Buffalo stacks. Understandable it happens, right? But this week in our top stack tool, We've got Buffalo with a top stack probability of 18%. That's the highest on the slate, which is fascinating to me because Kansas City, God, every week we would see them number one, right? Mm -hmm. Every single week. Not the case right now. They're below 10%. Still have a somewhat positive leverage score, but Buffalo just always happens to be one of those teams where they can explode. Now, the ball gets spread around a lot because, Cole, listen, Cole Beasley had a big game last week. Not many people were on him. It was Manny Sanders. It was Stefan Diggs, Tommy Sweeney. It's easy, to, it's easy to forget about players in this Buffalo offense. And forget. I could be mistaken here, but I think – and let me pull this up. Yeah, Gabe Davis was targeted five times and saw multiple red zone targets, which once in a while that happens. He had seven touchdowns as a rookie. So that's the only thing that, that drives me nuts sometimes is trying to figure out what the best way to stack Buffalo is. Yeah, that can get annoying. But when you have that many passes and that much opportunity going around, I'm going to I'm gonna go for it. I'm going to go for this team. Again, it makes Diggs much, that much more interesting to me because outside of him, I feel like it is getting more variable, not less. And I still think you could play the running backs if you're you know just looking at the game total and looking how 
the Buffalo offense is just going to smash in general. Yes, you're going to lose goal line carries to Josh Allen, but Zach Moss right now at 5,300 on DraftKings, 21st among running backs. His projection's well ahead of that. And his expected fantasy points, got to give him credit, right now 14 expected DraftKings points. That's 12th among all running backs. He's getting the usage. So do you want to hit on anything in the in the backfield for Buffalo, or should we talk Jacksonville? Yeah, I think that really was it. Like Singletary is a... He is 3% ownership is about right. You can play him in tournaments if you want. All right. So James Robinson questionable right now. We really don't know what his status is going to look like at this point. It seems completely up in the air. could be a true game time decision. I'm leaning towards him being out. I, I really don't know how much of a difference that makes at this point, Matt. Like if you get a cheap running back that could soak up some work. Okay. But like, if Carlos Hyde is going to be the guy, and he was last week, granted, he was targeted six times in a blowout loss, so that's not nothing. He's just not very explosive. He, he's also not priced at the floor. He's priced around $5,000. I'm, I'm really not particularly interested in getting to a non-Robinson or even really Robinson this week for uh, Jacksonville. If you think I'm wrong, tell me where you're at. I probably will be okay playing Robinson if he's in, if he's active, but I'll probably have none of Carlos Hyde if Robinson is out, if that makes sense. I just want no part of a non-explosive running back who, as you said, isn't really priced that far down. He's running back 29 on the slate. And why are, why are we going towards a running back uh, on a multi-touchdown underdog against Buffalo? I just don't know if this offense is worth betting on in general. And then you just take, you know, the talent of the player. It's just not, it's just not enough for me. Yeah. The usage was decent last week. It was nice to see him, as you mentioned, you know, I, I, six receptions is not nothing, 72 total yards, but I think that's really the most likely outcome here. Here's what you could say. The Jacksonville offense could have a game like they did against the Houston Texans in week one, where they had a bunch of touchdowns and lost anyway and Hyde could easily fall into the end zone for two of them, that could happen. That's just not that exciting to me. No, and I don't want to bank on getting all of my productions out of touchdowns because we have zero idea if that's going to actually happen. Uh, do we have to consider Dario Ogunbowale uh, in chat was a question. No, you, you really don't at all. Uh, even if, like, yeah, sure, if, if Hyde ends up being out, but he won't be. He won't be. He's, they're just limiting him because they want one of those guys out there. Ogunbowale played 20% of snaps. Robinson only played 11% last game. And Dari was still pretty much unused. So, no, I, I don't think you need to get there. Matt, do you like any 10 routes. Uh, Sorry? That's, he ran 10 routes. That's, that's fine, not nothing. But, yeah. Yeah, but how many did, did Hyde run? I believe he ran more. He had to. He, he, had, eight, or he had eight targets. So, it had to have been. 33. 33. So, Spelling Carlos high I, against the Bills. I'm cool. Uh, you like anything from the passing game? Uh, I don't love anything. Marvin Jones, maybe, but his salary is actually a little high. Uh, 5,700 wide receiver, 16. He's wide receiver, 29 in expected fantasy points. And that just speaks to the middling quality of this offense. When you don't continue drives and you don't get into the red zone, you can't get high quality opportunities and therefore your expected fantasy points go down and down and down. And so we're seeing all of these options. Uh, Jones, 
wide receiver 29 in expected fantasy points. Chanel, wide receiver 28. Agnew, wide receiver 35. So they're not at the unplayable level of opportunity, but nothing excites us. And, you know, the lowest salary of any player in that trio is Agnew at wide receiver 43 at, ironically, 4,300 this week. I think Dan Arnold is probably the most intriguing option here. Now, his salary's up a little bit this week, but still at just 3,400. He saw a huge amount of work last week, and now he's up uh, at 9.8 expected fantasy points. Uh, pretty good. You'd do worse than that at tight end 12. I think you could, too, if the volume's going to be there. It's not exciting because there's just very little touchdown equity on a team like this, but... You know, Houston dropped 22 on the Rams last week, Matt, so anything's possible. How about we talk about the next one on the list with the Cleveland Browns and Cincinnati Bengals? But before we do, I got to give you two spots for prize picks this week that I love. And you know where I'm going. First of all, Eric tried stealing my shtick on Live Before Live. Don't think that was lost on me, Matt, going to the touchdown scores. Said that son of a bitch. But anyway, <laughs> you got you got prizepicks.com or App Store, Google Play Store, whatever it is. Doesn't really matter. Check it out. You will love it. I promise you. And I'm dead serious about this, too. I think you will thoroughly enjoy playing there. It is player prop based contest. And well, the best thing, too, you want to get a little deposit bonus. They'll give you up to $50. All you got to do, oh, I'm sorry, up to $100. All you got to do is use the promo code AWESEMO, A W E S E M O. So by player prop contest, you're building lineups with player props. You could call them lineups, whatever you want. You could call it a card. A card is fine too, but it's really not a parlay because in terms of a parlay at a traditional book, if you have a five leg parlay, even if it's like a five leg monster odds plus a hundred thousand and you hit four of five and then boom, you get blown up on the fifth leg. You get nothing out of that at all. Zero. Over at prize picks, if you do a five-player lineup or a five-player card, five-prop card, where all you have to do is take the over or the under. There's no juice on either side. It's very simple. And they got props for as many sports as you want. I mean that. Cricket, like Frisbee golf, of course, NFL, NBA, all of the big sports as well. You can mix all of them as well. You want to do a five-player lineup, you can mix them up. You could have three different sports in one card and five picks. But if you have a five-player card, and you hit all five, boom, you 10X your, your entry, okay? If you have a four-player card and you do it regularly, you 5X. Or if you get three of four, unlike another one where, or a tradition where you get blown up and you get nothing, you're still one and a half Xing your entry. On a five, you hit four, you're still two Xing, okay? You even get 0.4 back if you only hit three of five. So you're not just going to drain your bankroll trying to hit that big parlay every single day. This is the way to go about it, for real. Sustainable bankroll uh, management here and being able to take home some big prizes along the way. I think that's what differentiates it from all of these traditional books. So seriously, check this out. All of the sports you can think of, $100, up to $100 deposit bonus when you sign up. Uh, and they also have something called a power play. If you do a four-player card and you do the power play, if you hit four of four, you'll 10X, so you don't need to do five. But you won't get anything if you only hit three. Matt, I'm going back to the well, and I think this is an amazing one. Jonathan Taylor is minus 200. I'm telling you, you look at the juice and you tell me that it doesn't make sense to hit the over 
on these touchdown props or under, depending on what they look like, if they're juiced heavily on traditional books and follow along with our player props uh, tools that are totally free at Awesome. Jonathan Taylor's minus 200 right now. I'm taking over a half a touchdown because why would I not? Yeah, that's awesome, especially against the Jets defense who are so exploitable uh, by opposing running backs. I like it a lot. I'm going to go back to that game that we first mentioned, the Minnesota-Baltimore game. I'm liking it more and more as I continue to analyze it, and I'm going to go with Mark Andrews over 55.5 receiving yards as my prop. There are some tight ends that I might like a little better in DFS in terms of value, but man... After seeing him be number one in expected fantasy points, I think the opportunity will be there. 55.5, be over. I love it. I'm also going to take over four and a half receptions for Michael Carter. Uh, Mike White's targeting his running backs almost 50% of the time in these two games that he's played. They're big dogs. He's attempted three deep balls on 77 pass attempts. Three, that's it. And wow. he doesn't have any deep threats. Corey Davis not expected to play. I think Michael Carter gets peppered with targets again. He gets 23 targets over the last two games. I don't think it's hard when your A dot is less than half a yard to get, you know, five receptions on eight targets. So I like that as well. All right, Matt, let's get back to this. First off, Sammy, thank you, sir, for the super chat. Noah Lorenzo Telesco, the awesome newborn. He's a granddad. I found that out today. Congrats, man. Uh, welcome to the hey, team. Congrats. That's yeah, man. Awesome. Congrats. Oh, nine GT. Welcome to team. Awesome. And I didn't forget about that. Jordan. Nice $50 super chat there, Matt. You know why this dude took down 40 K again yesterday. He's legitimately unstoppable. Dude clearly sold his soul to the devil. And I'm jealous. That is awesome. That we'd love to hear that. Uh, so glad you guys are hanging out. But when we hear that it translated into serious wins, that's the coolest feeling. It's a beautiful thing. You know, it is not a beautiful thing. I'm going to tell you right now, Cleveland against Cincinnati, but it does have a 47 <laughs> point total. It's not completely just washed off the board. Odell Beckham, once again, excused from participating in practice today. His dad's out there posting Instagram videos of all the times Baker Mayfield either didn't throw to him or missed him. Ah, I say free Odell, put him on a team where they can use him. I'm not saying he's going about it the right way, but get him out of Cleveland, Matt. Get him out of there. Did you actually watch that video? Yeah, I mean, some of the clips were bizarre. I kind of felt I'm sucked in. I felt bad for Odell. Me too. I kind of feel, I kind of feel like there's an argument to be made. And look, the team is winning. They have a, a culture of winning that I cannot believe Aren't they I'm saying about four? the Cleveland Browns. And, and so you can't really fault them for trying to figure out something with a player like Beckham who isn't working. There's obviously drama and I don't expect him to really play this week or maybe ever again for Cleveland. If that changes with, you know, one Schefter tweet, we'll readjust. But ultimately this is a run focused team that is going to be pulled into a pass heavy game script only, only by force in our game script adjusted rush rate. Of course, the Browns are right up there with the rush heaviest teams in the league, number three on that list. And they're number 27 in our game script adjusted pace of play metrics. So they're going slow. They're running the ball. They're controlling the clock. And yeah, maybe an explosive deep playmaker 
doesn't really vibe with that. Not to say that's bad for an NFL offense, but they're trying to move the chains. They're trying to keep the ball out of these premier offenses' hands. And not to say that Joe Burrow and the Bengals are at that level yet, but that's why this total's high is because they can do it. They have proven it, even if they lost to the Jets, giving up 34 points, that defense. And really, I, I think this game does have some sneaky shootout potential just because of the talent on both sides and the fact that it might go overlooked since there are some higher total games on the slate. And for a normal slate, 47 feels pretty pretty poor. For this slate, it's actually pretty decent. Hemi, Hemi says that video is sad. Maybe it was the music. Yeah, I know. It was that was it the Everybody Hurts? I think that's that by REM. I think that's what it was. I hear you, man. I was watching it too. I started to think the same thing. And Matt, yes, the Browns are winning by Brown standards, but they're still last in their division. Like they're, you know, they're a 500 team. They've been yeah. okay. I don't know. I, I, I just would like to see Odell Beckham somewhere that, that they'll utilize him. I'm, I am in not, I am in the camp that Odell Beckham is not done yet. And I would like to not see his career or I would like to see his career not waste away somewhere where they don't want to utilize him, whether they're winning or not. Give, it, just let him go somewhere where he can win. Or, or or even play. That's all. All right. You want to hear a crazy stat right now? You know, you Please. mentioned that they're four and four, and I I realized that that's exactly what they are. They're in a tough division. We don't have to tell you guys you. that. But outside of the AFC South, do you know how many teams in the AFC are below five hundred? Um. So. Nobody in the AFC West, right? Because you have two four and four teams, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're the last Jaguars, in the north. So the Jaguars in Houston, the Colts. So you said, did you say outside of the South? Outside of oh, that I'm sorry. terrible I'm sorry. division. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, there's just well, two. The, 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 yeah. Yeah. The, 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 then if that's the thing, it would just be the Jets and the Dolphins. That's right. So outside of those dumpster fires, that's really what I'm saying here is their last place, but it's a contextualized last place. Sure. They're, they're got to be better, better though, Matt. I agree. I agree. But I hear you. Absolutely. I, I know. Look, it's a tough division. There's no doubt about it, especially now that Cincinnati's good. What do you yeah. think, though, of the the opposite side here when you're talking Cincinnati, where you have Jamar Chase, you've got T. Higgins, you have Tyler Boyd, and then you have Joe Mixon, who I really do think, and I'm not just saying this in hindsight, we talked about it on Sunday's deeper dive with Alex Baker, that I, I think it was wildly overblown that Samaja Pirine was going to come in and just start getting like half of the work stolen from Mixon, which it, it seemed crazy. It ended up being crazy. Mixon played 77% of the snaps last week. Um, still saw 19 total looks. Samaja Pirine saw two targets and no carries. And let's let's come back down to earth, fellas. Let's get grounded here. I'm not saying that this is a smash spot for Joe Mixon. I'm also not saying that a guy in Samaji P. Ryan who couldn't hack it in Washington when there were no other lead backs probably isn't going to be siphoning off 50% of the workload from Mixon anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. This is a bell cow running back who, if you look at their last five week stats, which I tend to do, it doesn't illuminate how much opportunity is in their range of outcomes. As we saw last week, I think 14 carries and five targets is really the floor of the usage that we're looking at for Joe Mixon. I still think they want him back up 
at that week one and week two level where he was getting over 80% of the snaps, over 20 carries, and at least two targets per game. Closer to four would be more like it. You know, Samaj P. Ryan has probably earned himself a spellback role, but that's really ultimately where this right. settles, especially if this team keeps winning. And remember, they're favored right now. And in terms of which matchup I think has the biggest advantage, it's actually the Cincinnati offense versus the Cleveland defense, which really just doesn't look special by any metrics. They're right at, at league average in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. They're 25th in expected points added for the opposing offenses. So I think this Cincinnati offense can succeed and Mixon is the one getting the most touches. Uh, I think Nick Chubb is going to be wildly popular on the other side, but I think Mixon is a great, great play really in all formats. What's his ownership at right now? Oh, actually, Alex just DM me. We have updated ownership. Uh, awesome. Okay, let's see. Set oh, okay. There. Some big changes there. Where's Devontae Adams at? How far down did he go? Just curious. Devontae Adams. Okay. Down to 10%. T. Higgins is up there, though. Makes mm -hmm. sense. I mean, they're good. I think what you're saying is right. I mean, maybe Cleveland's defense just isn't that great. I don't know. Joe Mixon's at 9%. It's really not that high. I... Coming up a little bit, but. Yeah. It's not crazy. Not to change my opinion. Yeah. It's not crazy. I, Matt Gage babysitter service says Mixon got four red zone targets last. I, I don't know if you meant last week. I, I saw it as three, but still that's, that's a, a good point. I mean, yeah, he was, he was targeted in the red zone on, on several occasions, Matt, and uh, he's clearly the red zone back. There's just a lot to like about Joe Mixon as a bell cow. If, if he's not going to be insanely high owned, uh, he now has multiple receiving touchdowns on the year, five rushing touchdowns. So, yeah, there's a lot to like there. In the passing game, though, I, do you go to T. Higgins, who's kind of been all over the map this year, and touchdowns-wise, it's been a little bit disappointing. Granted, he missed a, a couple of games. Uh, he's basically just kind of been a high-floor, low-ceiling guy since Jamar Chase came to town. Yeah, and you know we've said it on this show multiple times. It's amazing what Jamar Chase is doing. But if you look at the expected fantasy points over the last five weeks, the big change is that Chase finally has overtaken Higgins in expected fantasy points. They're still utilizing Higgins a lot. In fact, he's 12th among all wide receivers on the slate in expected fantasy points. So when you compare that to his wide receiver 21 salary, Higgins is an absolute value. But Chase is the more valuable receiver for this team. And there really isn't any doubt about it. The fact that he's overperforming expectations probably speaks to the fact that he's pretty darn good. And one thing that I think is really fascinating, we all remember the preseason narrative coming into, you know, Chase's rookie year where he was having trouble catching the balls, that drops were going to be a problem. And I saw some really interesting data visualizations this week about lost value on drops. And Chase is actually the fourth worst receiver in the league. He has lost a lot of value on drops, but guess what? He has so much value otherwise that he catches, it doesn't even matter. So I think one of the great ironies of our preseason narrative is that it was correct and it didn't matter. Chase is good. He really is. Any priorities from this game on either side? Um, I like Higgins just based on that opportunity versus salary-based expectation at 5,300 5, on DraftKings. And I'll probably have a little bit of Jarvis Landry. Uh, gosh, I hate... 
I hate having players like Landry, where you know that he's more like a low depth of target player. But at the same time, I think he's just a surefire wide receiver one on a team that needs a wide receiver one in a game with a high total. So I'll, I'll go there as well. Hit that thumbs up for us, fellas and ladies, if you haven't done so yet. 250 people watching, 65 likes. Tough ask, but I think soon enough we can get to 100 because you guys are the greatest. <clears throat> See, Matt, that's uh, that's pandering. That's some political shit right there, you know? Ingratiating myself with the audience just for likes. I mean, it's sad. We got we to gotta play to the algo sometimes. That's not my personality, Matt. But sometimes you do what you got to do. You're right. You got to play to the algorithm. They're, they're watching over us. It sucks. But I'll get fired. You'll never hear from me again if we don't get those likes up. <laughs> that's, that's how dire it is. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they've already threatened. They already threatened me. Vegas, New York, 46 and a half point total. Uh, it's been a whirlwind of a season for the Raiders. No Henry Ruggs. He has been released from the team. No need to get into that. We have a two-hour show. Well, hopefully it'll be like an hour 45 here for Jordan Klein's sake. Shout out to our boy Jordan Klein producing the show. But we do know what happened. And we do know that he is out, gone from the league right now. And that is going to open things up for guys like Hunter Renfro and for guys like Brian Edwards and Darren Waller. Now, I actually want to start with Darren Waller here because, Matt, if you had Darren Waller at the beginning of the season, and I have him in some dynasty leagues, I go, oh, my God, this is wonderful. He had a 50% target share in the first half against Baltimore, finished with 19 targets. I mean, boy, am I in for a treat this year. And then he said seven, 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 eight, and five targets over the last five games. Of course, he was sidelined for a game or two. What Darren Waller should we expect? How much does Henry Ruggs' uh, departure help him, if at all? Or do they just start going to like a, uh, uh, what the hell is his name? It's going to drive. Foster uh, Moreau. Or like a Zay Jones. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I hope not. Yeah, I, here's here's what I'll say about Waller is that he's obviously hurt. He's back in practice. And so we're really hoping we see a more healthy version of him when he does get back on the field. We're hoping, and uh, I'm playing it right now, that he is going to be back on the field right now. And in season-long fantasy leagues, he probably hasn't hurt you that badly because he's been fairly consistent. The lowest score he's had is 8.5 PPR points. And, you know, he's been over double digits in every single game but that. But from a DFS perspective, what we're talking about on this show, the ceiling just isn't there when you say, you know, eight target maximum since that 19 target explosion in week one. His expected fantasy points continues to dip down the rankings at 12.2. It's not nothing, but there are four tight ends that are ahead of him, which feels weird for Darren Waller, who is always around one or two at mo at worst three last year in expected fantasy points. And it kind of concerns me now that everyone's just flocking to him right now his ownership i guess we just had a new run but in the previous run he was at 14.4 percent that's the highest among tight ends we're just expecting a lot i get it there's more targets to go around the usage should be there but i just don't see it as as good of a play as the field is seeing it which is always a concern to me yeah i get it i, I just like i, I don't 
I don't know if Ruggs' departure really makes that – hear me out, Matt. I, I'm not sure how big of a difference it actually makes because it's not really hard to redistribute four to five targets per game in this offense. It's not. Like, okay, one goes to Darren Waller, one goes to Edwards, maybe two go to Renfro, and, and Zay Jones grabs one as well. It's, it's, it's really – now, of course – those snaps have to go somewhere, right? Those, those routes have to go somewhere. I understand all of that, but it doesn't mean that there are going to be more targets to go around. I mean, five targets per game, it's, it's, it's almost negligible in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, our projections love Renfro, and I get it because they're just go- he's probably going to avoid James Bradbury in the slot. They're going to need check down options, and you got to assume that the New York Giants defense is going to game plan around limiting Waller, assuming he's out there. So I understand why Renfro looks like one of the most solid values on the slate. In tournaments, I will get to some Brian Edwards. Big playability, drafted the same year as Ruggs. So, you know, I think that is the quote-unquote one-for-one replacement I'm putting in there at, at this point. Still, I think that 5.6% projected ownership that, uh, again, in the last run, I think that's about right for Edwards. Um, There is some upside against the Giants offense. We've seen some big performances from wide receivers. Right now, they're below average in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. It's not impossible here. It's just not all that exciting either. Is there anybody that excites you from the Raiders? Until I looked at the projections versus salary rankings, no one did. And now Renfro did does to an extent. You know, I'm not going to ignore the fact that his projection ranking is right now almost 20 spots ahead of his salary ranking. That's a lot. So that's something to think about. But beyond that, no, I'm not playing a ton of Josh Jacobs. I don't like running backs who don't catch passes. Maybe on FanDuel it's okay. But yeah, besides that, not really. So Kadarius Tony, I mean, this has become the focal point of many a fantasy analyst recently, Matt. You know, Kadarius Tony, get him 10 targets a game. What are we doing? Why is he not out there for every step? I don't even disagree. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he wasn't even used last game until Sterling Shepard went down with a quad injury, right? So it is all logical, but if you go on Twitter, you'll just see it everywhere. Uh if you don't want to only see Kadarius Tony news, follow me at Lafayette underscore D and Matt <laughs> at, at draftaholic over on Twitter. For real though, uh, some good follows. And well, if you like football and I don't know, irreverent shit for me, Matt's more, Matt's more by the books. I'm kind of all once business. in a while. <laughs> What's that? I said I was more all business. Hey, maybe that'll change. Yeah. Sometimes weeks. it's fun just to spout off, you know? I don't know. I almost want to say something wildly offensive. I I wouldn't do it. Just hear me out. So when people get mad and the big Twitter mob comes at you, I can issue an apology. But do you know the the Nick Castellanos meme? Yes. It's a a a deep drive. I want to be like, I'm really sorry. And I promise I will do better in the future. And by doing so, I will. And there's a drive to deep center field by Nick Castellanos. <laughs> and just, I mean, light the world on fire because at that point, there's no turning back. What do you think? I think that's pretty good. I, I worry I worry that the, the Castellanos uh, tangent is turning into like the wedding flash mob of 2021 where like I've seen it a lot 
Uh-huh. I've seen it a lot, but it's still pretty good. Still I just want to piss people off. <laughs> but I won't. I won't. Because I'm not intentionally offensive. Sometimes it just happens. So what are you doing with Tony? Actually, no. Let me start with let me start with the backfield, right? I, I am I don't think Barkley plays, first of all. I know that he says he thinks he can, but first of all, well, second of all, it would be because I just said first of all, he was on the COVID list. Okay. Can return two negative tests. I believe he is vaccinated, all of that good stuff. But he didn't play on Monday, Monday, not last Sunday, because he still had too much swelling and bruising in his ankle. They have a bye week in week 10. Okay. So if you have a bye week in week 10, you still have bruising and swelling in your ankle. And you can take two additional weeks off and get back to 100%. Oh, and you're on the COVID list after testing positive. And I know there were like 13 t- positive tests and then two. Yeah, they had something. a wild. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of false positives. They had positive. to retest everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, he wasn't going to practice yesterday. Anyway, all I'm saying is, and I know I'm a broken record with this, but Devontae Booker's volume is insane right now. If all of the games he's played since Barkley went out weren't blowouts, because two of them were, they won in a blowout against Carolina, they got smoked by the Rams. And then last week, they were in a close game against Kansas City, where he played 94% of snaps. Booker's playing 90 plus percent of snaps every week. And Elijah, uh, Elijah Penny did not help his case by taking that dumbass penalty that, that after, after a guy pushed him and tackled him for 15 yards downfield, taking that unsportsmanlike penalty and backing them up could be the reason they lost the game. So Booker probably gets another 20 touches or 20 looks in this game once again if Barkley's out. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're looking at. 20 touches at uh, reduced salary, and that's what we want in DFS because it helps us get up to other premium players. I agree with you uh, with Saquon Barkley. It makes all the sense in the world to just let him rest, let him heal another week. I'm sure he's just aching to get back out there, and I'm not even going to deny that he's probably you know a fast healer or, or whatever you want to call it. But if he's got swelling, he's on the COVID list, they have a bye week, there's a lot of reasons that it would be rational to just let Barkley sit. I think one of the worst things we can do when trying to predict sports performance is assume rational coaching, because that is what we don't usually see out of the New York Giants, especially. And so I kind of agree. I'm one of the people clamoring for more looks for Kadarius Tony, but it's clearly going to take injuries to absolutely everyone else on the field in order for Kadarius Tony to get featured in this offense. Well, guess what? It's happening again. Sterling Shepard is out. As we said, we expect Saquon Barkley to be out. I don't see how you get away from utilizing Tony. He is a more volatile play than we would expect him to be after the kind of ceiling performance he showed. But still, I'm going to have him at wide receiver 24 on DraftKings. In expected fantasy points, he's right in line with salary-based expectations. But we've seen him, we've seen glimpses of him well outproducing that. That's the type of ceiling I want in a player. And the Vegas defense just isn't something that I'm particularly nervous about. Right now, they are bottom seven in the NFL in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. They're going to give up points here at some point. Yeah, they absolutely are going to give up points. Is this a sneaky stack game by any chance? I know you're not enamored with anybody for Vegas, but I, and by the way, Jordan, thank you again for the, the second super chat. Appreciate you, man. It, is there a possibility though, that maybe this game does get a little bit uh, high scoring? Hey, it's not impossible here. We've seen Vegas outperform the spread multiple times over the last few, uh, their expected implied total multiple times over the last few weeks. And so I guess there is, 
the way I previously thought about Daniel Jones is you don't really do anything but a single skinny stack with him because the way he hits his ceiling is rushing. And I'm not totally moved off that position, but the fact that I have seen a 400-yard game in his range of outcomes means it's not crazy to play Jones and Tony and one other player in a heavy game stack. It's just still not my favorite. Jones's projection is just right in line with salary-based expectation. He's in the you-can-play-him-if-you-want category. Do you have anybody else for New York that stands out in the passing game? Oof, not really. You know, it's one thing to look at a showdown slate and say, hey, I'll have a little Kyle Rudolph. I'm not playing him on a main slate, period. Not at all. Not at tight end 28, 2600 on DraftKings. I guess Evan Ingram is in the you could do worse category, tight end 12 in expected fantasy points, tight end 11 in salary. But I think that's usually the no man's land of the tight end salary range. I want to go all the way down or get up to a more comfortable player usually. Houston and the Miami Dolphins. This game's pulling ownership, Matt. And oddly enough, for good reason, the the Houston Texans are six and a half point dogs, but they actually have, and and this, this total did come down a little bit, but yesterday, this was a team that had a 20 point implied total, which, you know, for any, for any other team is, is like 50 points. I mean, that's how bad they've been this season. 19 and a half, 20 point total for the Houston Texans. It's like, whoa, okay. They must have a good matchup this week. I'm still waiting to see if Terod Taylor is going to play. Um, we'll find that out. He looked like he had a chance last week, but wasn't activated. But nevertheless, it's a backfield that's disgusting right now. Even since they got rid of Mark Ingram, you're still talking about um, a, a Rex Burkhead being the guy who got the bulk of opportunities last week, which was very minimal to begin with. David Johnson, Philip Lindsay. I mean, all of this is gross. I'm staying away from it entirely, particularly as touchdown dogs. But I do think even at, you know, relatively high ownership, where's he at now? Is, did he come down a little bit? He did, 12.9%. Did Brandon Cooks, with a 30% target share on this team, no other player has more than 12% target share on Houston. And against the Miami team that has truly been decimated by opposing passers granted bad passing attack but one bad quarterback can still produce good numbers for one player if he has a if he's getting a third of his team's targets i i still think brandon cooks is totally fine this week and i i think you're going to see him get targeted once again quite often yeah our projections love him too so we're we're in total agreement here the miami defense is just bad enough that you're going to play the wide receiver one from the Texans, even if it is Davis Mills for one more week. And I wonder if their implied total has the possibility of Tyrod Taylor starting sort of baked into it right now. As you were saying that it's sort of creeping up, that was my first thought here. But when you talk about a player in Cooks who has a projection inside the top six wide receivers and a salary outside the top 12 active wide receivers, we're obviously playing him. We're seeing that projected ownership creep up. Of course it is. But you can definitely go there. In expected fantasy points over the last five weeks, it has slowed down a little bit for Cooks. He's at uh, wide receiver 18. That's 13.1 expected fantasy points. You can certainly go there. Um, And because of the defensive matchup, I will go there a little bit. It's just not as strong as it was earlier in the season. Our boy, uh, the news god, 
Thank you, man. Appreciate that. El Negro Loco, just let me know. And this is amazing timing because this tweet came out like five minutes ago. Uh, Texans, and you know, and you, you know the news guy is going to aggregate the shit out of this stuff. So we're in good, we're in good shape. He says uh, to Aaron Wilson, NFL says Texans named Terod Taylor QB one for Sunday's game against the Dolphins. Taylor won his only start over the Jaguars and was leading the Browns when he suffered a grade two hamstring strain in the second game. Normally, I wouldn't read all of that, Matt, but I do want to remind people Terod Taylor was playing legitimately good football to start the season. This guy is not afraid to run. He is a far better passer than someone like Davis Mills. And let me say one thing. For those of you that watch the Fantasy Football Channel this year, you know this. Terod Taylor, in three years as a starter, was on average a QB 17. That puts him in the middle of the road, okay? That puts him literally dead smack in the middle of the league. So, yeah, I think that is a considerable upgrade from Davis Mills this week. And you know what? I wouldn't be surprised to see their total creep up a couple points. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? Yeah, that game spread was getting closer as this week has gone on, and the total's actually gone down. I bet we see a reverse course here. Um, that's really interesting. And I'm glad we got that news right now because it does change my opinion of Cooks a tiny bit in just that we need a little bit more to go right for him now in the sense that Tyra Taylor can improve the overall quality of the offense, but he may actually take some of those fantasy points for himself using his legs. Uh, it, it's probably good for the offense overall, but I, I've said this on a previous show. It wasn't actually Taylor who was peppering Cooks with targets. It was Mills in the beginning of the season. Not to say that Cooks is suddenly unplayable by any means. He's still a really strong play, but I think Taylor actually is a little bit of a net negative. It could be, but it's also like you said, if it's a more efficient offense, if they have more opportunity to score, do we see you know an additional red zone look or two for Brandon Cooks? It's hard to say at this point. point. It really is, but yeah. Um, I still like him. I, I, I see what you're saying. I, I'd be fine on either side of that, really. Um, I just don't have interest in anybody else for Houston. Unless you wanted to take some Terod Taylor, Brandon Cooks mini stacks in hopes that Terod runs a ton because their backfield sucks and that Brandon Cooks has 10 targets. It's not the craziest idea in large field tournaments, but like, nah, I'm good on Nico Collins this week. What? How dare you insult 81-year-old Danny Amendola? Oh, stop. He it. is our he is our GPP lock of the week. No, I, oh, I, I, I joke. I joke, but his, his projection actually had him as wide receiver 41. And at 3,200, that makes him officially playable. Do you want Danny Amendola in your DFS lineup? Nope, is the next question you ask yourself. <laughs> I do not. Very fair. Uh, very fair. So. On the other side of this one, I've got to tell you, the whole Miles Gaskin thing is kind of confounding to me because we've seen spots where Brian Flores just decided not to use him, and then the next week he scores two touchdowns, right, uh, both of them through the air. You have no Malcolm Brown on the IR, and, and someone would say, well, Salvin Ahmed, yeah, sure, but Ahmed's getting no red zone or real goal line looks, whereas Malcolm Brown got a lot of them. I think Gaskin now is going to be the goal line back, is going to be the pr primary red zone back, whereas we saw a lot of Malcolm Brown there prior to him getting injured. It's just a tough spot for Gaskin. He's been so volatile this year, Matt. Yeah, I was actually looking at 
odd shopper. I wanted to look at what he's at right now because Gaskin is one of those players who, I guess in DFS, like you can play him, but what's his props like? Because it's really, it's really hard to figure out what he's going to do on a week to week basis, especially, you know, the Houston defense isn't bad, but we, no, I mean, they're, they're getting up there. They were towards league average and schedule adjusted fantasy points. I now see they're right below the dolphins at fifth worst in the NFL. Yeah. It's not great. We have him with a 66% expected win rate on the under 54 and a half rushing yards. So 24% ROI on that. We're projecting him this week for 50 yards. These projections are the same ones we use at Awesome. It's just on Odd Shopper, they're free, which is kind of cool. Yeah, the X win rate, 66% on the under 54 and a half. Got him projected at 54 I mean, I kind of get it, Matt, because we just haven't seen any big rushing games from him this year. And you can throw on Houston. Salvin Ahmed is still probably going to get like eight carries here. And uh, I don't know. That's what I'm seeing, too, is that really not to say that you if they're in a positive game script, this could be ugly, too. But really, it's been easier, much easier to pass on the Texans than it has been to run on them. We have seen some big runs that Jonathan Taylor, 80 plus yard run comes to mind, but just looking at comparing the passing game schedule, adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running game. uh, The Texans are essentially a pass funnel. So I I kind of agree with the under on the rushing. I do too. When I actually, cause I was torn on it. When I saw the, the prop at 54 and a half, which was already not that high. And then I saw that we have an X win rate of 66 on it. And these projected just like, you know, f- considerably under where his prop is. It did take me off of him a little bit too, because I just think there's a lot of volatility. There. There's so much uncertainty with Gaskin. And quite frankly, I'd rather have a Devonte Booker by far over miles Gaskin. If Barkley doesn't play, because I know that there's nobody behind Devonte Booker that's going to get those opportunities. So yeah, I, I'm actually, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the, the under on Gaskin rushing yards this week the more i the more i think about it the more i see our projections points bet has it as the best one at minus 115 on the under so that might just be a good spot to hit um mm-hmm. and, and you know he only has an 18 and a half yard i'm looking at this now 18 and a half yard receiving prop matt like that's not that great yeah and it just shows the the level of uncertainty they have around this offense you know tat i will say out of all the news events that have occurred over the last few days in the NFL. You know, one thing that got totally lost here in this Deshaun Watson's is he or is he not going to Miami uh, saga is that there's just so little faith into a tag of Iloa and he's playing pretty well in expected fantasy points right now. He's third among all quarterbacks on this slate. Now he's performing slightly below expectation, but still he's creating an offense that, there is fantasy goodness to go around. So I think the passing game is much more intriguing here. Um, I just, you know, you can play Gaskin in tournaments. You really can because he's playing the Texans, but For it's sure. just not a great spot. And we do, to be fair, Matt, we have him projected, uh, looking at this now, for a significant win rate, expected win rate on the over receiving yards. We haven't projected at almost 28 right. receiving yards but 50 rushing yards. So that's still around, you know, a a seven, that's still around 78 rushing plus receiving yards, not including um, receptions. 
you know, just from a PPR standpoint. So, you know, if he gets in the end zone, I still think Gaskin is fine, but I just worry that they're not going to look toward to him through the air as much as they should. And if that's the case, having him do it all on the ground is a little bit uh, less great. But if Terod Taylor's in, maybe this game stays close. What are you doing, though, with Mike Gusecki and, and with Jalen Waddell and with Devontae Parker? I have a good stat for you that you'll appreciate. So Jalen Waddell has the third lowest dot in the league, ahead of only Emmanuel Sanders and Rondell Moore. We've talked about that, right? Yards per reception isn't very high. But he's third in football with nine uh, tackle or missed tackles forced. The Houston Texans, according to PFF, ranked dead last as a team in tackling. They're also one of the worst secondaries in the league at this point, as you mentioned, much of a fast pass funnel defense. If there were a game where Jalen Waddle was capable of making plays for himself because they just refused to get him involved elsewhere, right? They're just like, hey, pal, we drafted you a top five. Go do some shit and make us look good. But it, at this point, if there was a game where he could shed some tackles, make a big explosive play on a screen at the line of scrimmage, this could be it. I mean, you might. This could be a big game from Waddle with how bad the Texans have tackled this year. Hey, I really like that call because that's not something that's going to show up in my volume-based uh, projections here. You know, when we look at expected fantasy points, that's really based on opportunity. That's volume, mm-hmm. and you're not going to see that with Waddle. And you're exactly right. He has 2.8 yards per, yards after catch per target. His 200 yards after catch right now are 13th in the NFL. So. Yes, on a yards per target or a yards per reception basis, he's not going to look fantastically efficient, but he's making do with very little in terms of expected production. So I really like that call. Also, consistent yards after catch is one of the biggest indicators of talent that we have. It's just something that's really hard to do consistently. There are very few people in the NFL who can do it well all the time. So if that's something we continue to see from Waddle, it'll be a player that I'll be all over in the weeks and years to come because if his opportunity ever expanded, it would be game on. One thing I am noticing, though, is Devontae Parker in limited usage over the last five weeks actually ranks as one of the highest in expected fantasy points on this slate. So I will go to Parker at 5,300. I know that's a volatile play. Um, I'm fine with Gasecki at 4,900. Uh, my favorite line projection right in line with salary based expectation and 3.4 fantasy points over expected per game. That's third amongst all tight end. I'll absolutely take that. Gasecki's just a good player. This team will have some ownership, but it does make sense. I mean, this is either going to be one of those games that ends 14 to 10 or you know, 34 to 24, something like that. You know, it feels like we could see on either side because it's two not great offenses and and two bad defenses. But Miami has their highest total of the season by far at 26 and a half, not even close to where they've been this year. Well, we it's funny. Like you know, we should, yeah, I do too. And, I, and we should mention it. We talked about it last week with the Jacksonville-Seattle game. One of my favorite shootout potentials, one of the reasons that you have shootouts is two terrible defenses who just shoot themselves in the foot and can't get out of their own ways. We absolutely have that potential in this game with Houston and Miami. No doubt. Hey, Matt, Atlanta and New Orleans. We're almost at 100 likes, by the way. Appreciate you. We're five away from hitting that 100 mark. 250 watching on the Matchups Marathon Show. I mean, what a time to be alive. We've got Atlanta on the road against New Orleans. 
Jameis Winston done for the year. And it appears now that we will be getting Taysom Hill into the mix. So we'll put that on hold for a second and talk about Atlanta first. Very difficult run defense for New Orleans. Calvin Ridley just stepped away from football for God knows how long. And now you've got Kyle Pitts. You've got guys like Corderell Patterson and then Russell Gage, who was not even targeted last week. What do we do with the Falcons this week? Uh, I think you can still go there. In fact, I think it's a little bit easier if you do go there because you kind of know where the the most valuable pieces are, where the opportunity is going to flow through. Mike Davis is still going to get his run here, but Cordero Patterson is the back that you want in this backfield. Absolutely still getting more expected fantasy points. In fact, his expected DraftKings fantasy points over the last five weeks, running back five. And he's 4.9 fantasy points over expectation. He's been the most impressive player on this offense outside of rookie sensation Kyle Pitts. And really, those two are the only reason that this offense is at all afloat and has shown any potential, uh, despite struggling and being last place in their own division. I will say, with Cordero Patterson, I was looking at Odd Shopper, and I, I actually, it's not up in New Jersey right now, but I, was, I really like the over on his receiving yards with Ridley out and New Orleans consistently being able to stop the run. I think Patterson makes a ton of sense in a hybrid role where they just have to check down a whole bunch. And I fully expect Kyle Pitts to get the wide receiver one treatment here, leaving Cordero Patterson likely open over the middle here. Over 33.5 receiving yards is something that I'm looking to bet on anywhere I can. I see that on prize picks right now. I'll probably add that to my ticket. And on Odd Shopper, when it comes back up, I'm definitely going to be on it over there. But, you know, looking at his rushing props on Odd Shopper, I think the expected win rate is actually on the under. Again, that really has to do with the strength of the New Orleans defense. The way you beat them is through the air, even if you're going to get your backs involved. So, uh, Patterson is still my favorite play. Uh, I'll play some pits. It's just a little expensive. He's still my favorite play, but when I'm talking about betting props, I'm looking at his receiving overs and his rushing unders. The thing too, though, is like, even if you don't bet, there are so many people. I know Tom Kennedy, CEO of Osimo and phenomenal DFS player. Is that he, and I know Alex and, and a lot of these guys, they work props into their process, like into the projection. Right. So even if you don't bet, this is one thing that you should be looking at each week to get a read on 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 where they're at. Uh, Corderell Patterson or Cordero Patterson has a, a prop right now of 32 and a half receiving yards. We've got him projected for over 40. And like, okay, Caesars, the overs at 32 and a half minus 110 to the over. That's nothing. So, first of all, that's 100 percent oh, of prop is, i yeah. agree with matt and i'm hitting that there's just no question about it for for this spot without calvin ridley and probably trouble throwing the ball downfield if you're taysom hill i love that it might be right now one of the one of the best props out there but use it in your process even if you aren't betting even if you aren't in a legal state right now it'll absolutely help you get a good read um on on what these players what you're looking at with these players heading into each week and i think you know this is, is a perfect Dave? one that is the player equivalent of using implied totals. We're yep. always mentioning the implied totals of games because that's a 
great proxy to describe a team and their projected performance. We use the same prop lines for players to get a baseline for how we should project a player. Great point. Do you like anything? Actually, let, let's talk about the other side of this one, if you're cool, unless there's anything else you wanted to hit on. Yeah, I'm ready to move on. You can play Kyle Pitts. Yeah, for sure. What about what about with the Saints? And and do, do you think Taysom Hill is going to start this week? Oh, yeah, I do think Taysom Hill is going to start. I believe he, he's already practiced. Yeah, I just um, wasn't sure if he was confirmed that he was going to play. He was limited yesterday, so I'm still waiting on that. I, I would have assumed that if they really thought that he was he was possible to miss, that they would have brought someone in. And so I, I didn't see that, and so I kind of assume he's on track to play. Probably true. If, what does that do for Kamara in the passing game and in the running game? So I'm sure those of you who played DFS last year remember the volatility that occurred for Alvin Kamara's fantasy scoring when Taysom Hill became the starting quarterback. And I do think the fears of that occurring again are legitimate, but I do want to say on a single-game slate against the Atlanta Falcons defense, which is really, really bad, third worst in the NFL in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, and easier to exploit via the running back than any other position. Alvin Kamara has running back overall, player one overall upside in this in this offense still. And in this exact matchup, I'm going to get to a lot of him. Still number one in his position at expected fantasy points. His projection right now, not so great compared to his super high 8,200 salary on DraftKings. And yes, there is always that possibility that the goal line rushes start going to Mark Ingram start going to Taysom Hill, and things get really weird. We'll analyze that when we get there. I still think that Kamara is by far my favorite play here, and especially in tournaments, seeing that ownership still high is annoying, but I'm still going to get there. I have really zero interest anywhere else here, Matt. I, I, I don't know what, ta I don't know. First of all, Taysom Hill's passing volume last year, it wasn't as low as people make it out to be. There were a couple games where he threw a lot. One game skewed a ton against the Eagles where they got blown out, but then another game skewed it back the other way against Denver where you had a third-string receiver starting at quarterback for the Broncos. So all I'm saying is expect low passing volume, but not like this isn't like Army. You know, this isn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is still going to be a team that, that will throw when they have to. And plus, Winston wasn't throwing anyway. So I – like, if you're anticipating less passing volume than Winston's, what was he tempted, like 22 passes per game on average? I don't know the exact number, but it wasn't a lot. I'm, yeah, yeah, I, it is what it is. So I still don't like the passing game here. And Michael, uh, Michael Thomas is out for the year. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one thing that we've seen over the last few years is that quarterbacks who score rushing touchdowns, who Taysom Hill is certainly in that category, they actually positively correlate their ceiling games with their running back. So I wonder if Hill Kamara stacks, especially in something like a single entry or a three entry tournament can actually help fantasy gamers this week because the Atlanta defense is bad. I suspect that they are going to give up rushing touchdowns or running back back. I should say backfield touchdowns this week. So if you grab both, you are capturing a ton of upside here in a really plus matchup. And it's affordable. You know, you get Kamara 8,200, but then you lock in Hill to the quarterback spot at 5,500 or even get really contrarian 
again, this is lo- more large field, but Kamara Ingram and just see if all those backfield t- uh, end zone carries go to the running backs. I dig it. Uh, so we got seven down, a few to go here. But we got to shout out all of our awesome Hall of Fame qualifiers going up on the awesome Hall of Fame. And it is a, a massive achievement here and one to be proud of, especially because we want to let everybody else know that you had a huge night or in Jordan's case, a uh, uh, million dollars in a week or whatever the hell it was. Doesn't matter whether you're entering the quarter arcade or, or maxing the milli. If you got the awesome avatar, you finished first through third in a field of 5,000 or more. We got you. And we're going to talk about it. Download that avatar at awesome.com slash avatar. Use it, whether it's Yahoo, DraftKings, FanDuel, doesn't matter. Make that your avatar so everyone can see you're repping the Awesomeo crew. And then tweet your wins at Awesomeo HOF. Awesomeo HOF, like Hall of Fame. And win a free month of Awesomeo Plus Platinum, $90 value. That's right. It's not just for bragging rights. It's also to get a free month. We've had people that have won like Bink with the $20 top cash and then get a $90 uh, Awesomeo Plus Platinum. So it really doesn't matter how much you're paying to get into these entries as long as you tweet at us and have that avatar. And even if you don't have the avatar, you won't get a free month. But if you have a big hit and you want us to show it off, uh, we got you on that too. Anyway, that's Stunna. I see him up top all the time. 100K to first, okay? Then he got third for 15K, fourth for 10K, and fifth for 7K in the Wednesday NBA Jumbo Dunk. That's just a preposterous cash out, and uh, I'm happy to see it. Jordan Lockhart, again, again, been supportive today. He said, I've missed y'all. Let's keep the awesome train going. How can y'all not want to join these guys with all their amazing content and great shows? Also, congrats to Eric Linquist on getting married in a week. Yeah, congrats, Eric. Another $30,000 and then $6,000 hit for Jordan. The guy is on one of the most insane heaters I've ever seen in my life. Rubric, 20K, third place. Love that. Fade away, 100K up top. He took third. And then you had, yeah, is that Velo? Velio? Anyway, he said, disregard that last two. We got a stack correction, boys. Shout out to the squad once again. Awesome all day. 1,500 NBA up top. Love it. Zach, Awesome and Yahoo partnership was perfect. Consistent content. The Awesome guys put out top tier. Awesome Hall of Fame. What's up? Congrats, man. Nice first place, second place finish for you, I should say. And then we'll close it out with our boy Jake Hari doing work behind the scenes. Great player, great NHL analyst. And you see it here, $25,000. So that's it. Use the pro or use the, uh, the awesome.com slash avatar. Tweet us, get it up here, get your free month, and we'll see you over there. All right, Matt. Let's run through these. We've got New England and Carolina. What are you doing with Damian Williams? Four-point favorite against a bad rushing defense for the Panthers. Damian Williams? Where are Damian we? Damian Harris. Damian? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, just, I was like, wait a minute. Once uh, I go on those, when I go on those rants, I think I start losing blood to, circulation to my brain when I'm doing those segments, and then I got to come back down to earth. Damian Harris, yes. <laughs> I you You can play him. They're a favorite. Yes, they're on the road, but whenever the Patriots are a favorite, he Harris gets on the list. It's not exciting. He doesn't catch a ton of passes. He needs touchdowns to get there. But 15th in expected fantasy points among running backs means you can play the RB14 in salary. You know, and one thing you will say is that, you know, as favorites and a starting running back, 4.3% projected ownership. I guess it may have changed a little bit at this point. Is still really, really low. So people won't be there with you. 
But I think that's just because there are more exciting ways to spend 6K in salary on DraftKings this week. Still, 1.2 fantasy points over expectation. That's nothing to scoff at. Uh, I guess he's the the safest of the New England options if you must play this game. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not feeling great about it either. But I, I will say Damian Harris is the clear lead back now in New England. I, I don't think, unless he fumbles, Matt, I don't really think there's anything to, to dissuade. I, I don't think you could persuade me otherwise that he's not. And he has, over. The, get this, man, over the last four weeks, okay, from weeks five through uh, eight, Damian Harris has 19 red zone carries and eight goal line carries, five touchdowns inside the goal line. Eight, yeah, we'll take eight that. goal line carries. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Touchdowns really matter in fantasy football. So if you like a player who has a chance to score touchdowns, especially, you know, just the process play of we play teams starting running backs when they're six point favorites. That's just what we do. And the fact that he's gotten that much usage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's definitely touchdown dependent though. So I, this could be a two touchdown game for him, but he's certainly touchdown dependent. I think there's a low floor on Harris, but not a horrible ceiling against this Carolina team. I mean, they've been bad lately, Matt. And I don't really want anything else from the Patriots. If you want to take a shot on Jacoby Myers and hopes he gets his first touchdown since, you know, the big bang fine, but <laughs> that's about it. On the other side with Carolina, We'll wait on McCaffrey. If he returns and he's not going to be limited, $8,000, he's the steal of a century. But outside of that, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson's dead to everybody, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course. And I don't really know where else you go with how anemic this passing offense has been. Yep, that's pretty much it. DJ Moore is kind of, kind of interesting because the expected fantasy points are way higher than the production recently. But... You know, it, it's just tough. It's tough. It does look like Sam Darnold's going to start. You hit the nail on the head. If Christian McCaffrey is in, I'm going to assume that he's in and he's healthy enough to get his full workload. And if that's the case, I may literally have 100% of him because that's how good of a play he is at 8K. Um, I'm okay being wrong with Christian McCaffrey at 8K. And that's something we've mentioned before uh, with just a player who could outpace the rest of the league by five or six touches and all of those touches could be receptions. So it, it's just sort of a no-brainer at that point. And finally, also, as you said, I just don't know how you, we do anything good with starting Robbie Anderson or recommending him at this point. Minus 7.2 fantasy points below expectation. That's 85th amongst wide receivers. I don't care that he's 18th in expected fantasy points. I just don't care. I don't care either. As a matter of fact, I took a couple shots at him last week thinking, you know, this is it. This is the last one. If you can't do it, I mean, it's so bad. Like it's truly atrocious when you consider the opportunity that he has had this season, one way or another, whether it's drops or overthrows or underthrows, it has not worked out and it's hard to believe it will. I want to ask you about the chargers and Eagles though. This game has a 50 point total was 51 earlier. So it's still, it's still 50. It's still one of the highest on this. It might be the highest overall on the slate. Excuse me. I got a lot of shows today, Matt might be the highest overall <laughs> on the slates. Now that uh, Rogers is out. I think it is, but 
do you really like this is a little strange to me the eagles are two and a half point dogs that's it they have not proven that they're capable of getting involved and hanging around in a shootout with good teams this season so what am i missing yeah i don't know it it was pleasantly surprising to see their offense show up the way that it did yeah, against the contextual- dog shit team, though, and they ran the ball 47 <laughs> times. I don't have to finish the sentence sometimes because I'm, I'm you knew sorry. exactly I, you where I'm, I was going. You know, I'm no, passionate you're 100% about this. right. You know, Absolutely. I'm passionate about this team. I, sometimes I can't help myself. You <laughs> hey. come in, you'll come in with a, yeah, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty great. And then you're like, also, they suck. And I, sometimes <laughs> I can't catch the, I, I, I have trouble thinking like, is she going where I think he's going? And then you go where you you know, should have gone and I talk over you anyway. Go ahead. We're on the same page, though. It it really is all about Jalen Hurts' fantasy value as a differential to what his real-life value is. It was good to see other players get there, but it was their defense that really just dominated the game against, uh, against Detroit. And yes, the fact that Detroit's terrible defense on their side just let them do whatever they want. Still... Very strange to see Hurts have one of his worst games of the season. Still, I, I love him at QB8, 6,700 on DraftKings. Uh, the projection's well, well ahead of that. Over the last five weeks, he's fourth amongst all quarterbacks in expected fantasy points per game. And he's actually performing slightly below expectation, uh, which if you watch the games over the last five weeks, that wouldn't really surprise you. But from a positive regression standpoint, there actually is a little more juice left to squeeze there for Jalen Hurts. Outside of that, though, I don't know. I don't know, Devonta Smith. The talent is there, but his expected fantasy points outside the top 25 in wide receivers. I guess he's wide receiver 24 in salary, so he's not unplayable. Dallas Goddard, 4,500, tight end eight. That's a that's a decent enough value. I'll get to some of him, but nothing really intrigues me, especially because the Chargers are much more exploitable uh, via the rushing attack or running backs, which the Eagles never do, than the receiving game. I think Hurts, like you said, is always viable, and I also think this could be a game where he has a hundred rushing yards. I really do, but it could also be another garbage time spot. Hell, the Chargers are coming off a loss to. Um, who they just they just lost to a team that they shouldn't New have England. lost to Patriots Patriots yeah. Are you surprised that this spread is actually as close as it is? That's what I'm saying. I was a little bit. Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't shock me if the total was fifty, but the Chargers were laying like five, two and a half. Just seems really close. I mean, that's you're you're not. Who, who are you betting the Eagles to to lose by less than a field goal? That's no, I I think the Chargers have this by at least a field goal, if not a, closer to a touchdown, in my opinion. And even if they don't, it's just not a good bet. Like two and a half is not where you want the Eagles. Okay. What's the sports? What's the Osimo sports betting model have? I think that's a in a free trial right now too on our it is. website. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what they think because that feels wrong. Jordan, do you know where that is on the site to pull it up? Yeah, it's there. They have the Chargers. Well, it's two point three, so they they have it as too close. Wow! But it's it's still close. Still a field goal. Okay, interesting. Well, maybe you and I are wrong on this, but I I do I do share the same thoughts as you on this, Matt, for sure. 
That doesn't mean, though, that I'm not interested in some Eagles. I mean, Devonta Smith right now, I don't think you can go there. There's just, it's been troublesome. Dallas Goddard, on the other hand, one spot in the passing game that the Chargers have been beat up on, and they face some good tight ends, which is, you know, probably worth mentioning, is, is the tight end position. And Goddard is going to play 90-plus percent of snaps. He's going to run a ton of routes. Zach Ertz is gone. Goddard doesn't have a lot of touchdowns, but he still leads the team in red zone targets. He was tied with Ertz before Ertz went left. And last week, do you know what his target share was? No. 50%. So, granted, Jalen Hurts got to go threw, there. Yeah, yeah. Hurts only threw 14 times. But, Matt, 15, 50% is still 50%. So, he had seven targets on 14 passes. He is going to, to shape up as a guy that's going to have some big games, just given this offense. And if we think the Eagles are playing from behind, I think you're going to see a lot of rushing from Hertz. He's going to have to throw accurate or not. And you're just not going to see him be able to run the ball 47 times like they did against the Detroit Lions. So there are some spots here that I like, and it would be da uh, Dallas Goddard and Zach Gertz. Those are the two guys. I know that the Chargers are bad in the run on run defense. Actually, they're, they're pitiful, Matt. They're really uh, bad. Right, but the two things that I can't get to is this is why I, I, I'm having trouble getting there. One, despite them being bad, if they take a lead, because Detroit couldn't score. Detroit can't score. If they take a lead, the Chargers, I mean, how quick does Nick Sirianni abandon the run? We've seen it a million times. Let's just assume they don't, and it is a neutral game script, right? And they do continue to, to, to run the football. You still have to get it right between Boston, Scott, Jordan Howard, and Gainwell. That's the worst part. That is by far the most tilting part is that you feel like you get the, the pick of the running back right, but then they get to the goal line and the most valuable touch goes to somebody else. Yep. The absolute worst. But I think Boston Scott is playable just in terms of expected fantasy points versus salary-based expectation. He does pop as someone who is viable, and the Chargers are terrible against the run. That's enough of my process to say like he's he's viable. But in terms of what you're saying, I don't disagree with a thing here. By far, Hertz is the most intriguing play. And if you want rushing upside, if you want to capture that bad rushing defense and just play that matchup, Hertz is the easiest and safest way to get there. What do you think of the Chargers? I know I went back I went backwards here, but what do you make of of the Chargers in this one? I mean, Eckler. Mike Williams, I think, is a great tournament dart throw, or a tournament pivot at like no ownership because of his salary. Uh, Keenan Allen being another one. Jared Cook, they got a lot of mouths to feed, but a lot of guys that can pop off for huge games. Yeah, this is really interesting here with uh, Williams and Allen, especially in the passing game. If you look at the full season stats, Williams is one of the premier players in expected fantasy points. But if you just look at the last five games, we're seeing it shift back to the way that it typically was in previous years with the Chargers offense. Keenan Allen now up inside the top 12 in expected fantasy points per game over the last five weeks. So you can absolutely play him at 6,700 wide receiver 11. He had his most productive game of the year last year, or at least two touchdowns, his first two touchdown game or oh, just just one. I apologize, uh, but still a really really strong outing with six catches on eleven targets. Um, Mike Williams is the one. Yeah, you can get there, but he's still got a pretty high salary at seventy one hundred wide receiver eight. That makes it tough for me when you talk about a player who's wide receiver twenty seven 
over the last five weeks in expected fantasy points. We've seen huge games. We know what the ceiling is for Williams, and we're glad he can get there. It's just harder to bet on them before. So the last player I'll mention, of course, is Austin Eckler, who right now looks tremendous as a value play. Uh, he might be one of the top projected, if not the top projected running backs by the time we hit Sunday. And the ownership is actually not terrible. You know, right now I'm seeing, what is it in the new ownership projection? I'm sure it's it's gone up a little bit. It's uh, uh, on 16.8. Uh, on Eckler, it's 16.8. Oh. Yeah. So it's gone up a little bit, but that's still third amongst running backs. I'll get there. I'll be with the field on Eckler. I think it's just a really good, it's a strong play. And still 6.6 fantasy points over expectation. That's number one amongst all running backs on this slate. I think we got to talk about the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs. No Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams expected back. Aaron Jones coming off an 11-target game. I've got to tell you, though, Matt, and, and this, this game went from a two-point spread to, what are we at now? Seven and a half, 48 yep. and a half point total down from 54. I think, again, even though it's different, last week it was no Devontae Adams, which led to a high passing where our volume for for Aaron Jones this year, this week, it's no Aaron Rodgers. I think once again, that's going to lead to more passing down opportunities from Aaron Jones. I really do. I mean, MVS is nothing but a deep threat. Alan Lazard has proven inconsistent. Devonte Adams is your guy that you can target anywhere on the field, whether he's a possession guy or deep, but I think Aaron Jones will be heavily involved once again, both as a runner and as a pass catcher. I didn't love what I saw from AJ Dillon getting a lot of work last week, but you're going to need to do what you can. And, and, and it's not like the uh, Kansas City offense has been dynamic recently. I do like Aaron Jones a lot still, even with Aaron uh, Rodgers out this week. I think you'll need to lean on a guy like that that can do it all. Uh, I completely agree. Again, we said one of the worst things we can do is just assume rational coaching. But if I'm sitting there, I find out Rodgers is going to miss this week and Jordan Love is in. The first thing I do is go, how do I get Aaron Jones 25 touches in this yep. game? So I, I completely agree with you. I think we will see A.J. Dillon just because I think between those two players, they're going to try to concentrate a ton of the offense. The thing we probably won't see are those periodic deep shots, those bomb plays, you know, where Rodgers catches them off sides and just goes for it with a huge amount of air yards. That part of the offense is almost certainly lost. That doesn't mean we can't play Devontae Adams. It doesn't mean we can't even, like, reach for... Uh, a player like A.J. Dillon, who's going to get usage. But if you're talking about the best option when the backup quarterback comes in, especially against a Chiefs offense that we still project for a lot of points, it's Aaron Jones. I'm going to have him third amongst all running backs in expected fantasy points. I will say, if McCaffrey is in, that is going to limit my usage of Jones simply because he's in that similar tier. Um, but that's not what I'm projecting right now. As the slate currently stands, I'll have a lot. He looks like a really strong value. Yeah, that ownership is very low right now, too. Since the update, less than 5%. I'm you all about still score 25 points. Hell yeah, absolutely. I again I do I do like Matt LaFleur enough to to think that that this is a spot where you're not just gonna you're not just gonna you know, crawl into a hole here. I mean, they're not gonna be in fetal position. They're gonna, they're still gonna score points. You still have two of the best playmakers in the league on this team. They'll find ways to get them to football, okay? Uh, what about what about Kansas City? Travis Kelsey looked hungover last game. Terry Kill was, <laughs> was heavily involved once again. And 
and Patrick Mahomes made some questionable decisions. I, talk to me about the pass catchers in Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, I'm still a slightly less concerned about this team in general than the rest of the league because if you look at per play efficiency or per series efficiency, like their ability to turn a first down into another first down or a touchdown, they still rank out as one of the elite offenses in the NFL. And one of my favorite team efficiency stats, expected points added per play. Here are the offenses that are ahead of Kansas City right now. We've got, uh, in no particular order, LA, Tampa Bay, Arizona, Dallas, and one other team, Buffalo. That makes a lot of sense to me. If you're talking about the elite offenses, but right below them is the Kansas City Chiefs still. And that's really how I see this offense. They have a, a huge turnover problem, a huge turnover problem. That's a big deal in the NFL, and that's how your offense starts to look out of sync. The bottom line is they look out of sync. But I still think the ceiling remains unchanged for a player like Mahomes, certainly for, a, for players like Tyreek Hill, who had a decent game last week, and Travis Kelsey, who I love, I love that. Yeah, he did kind of look hungover, you know. I, someone on Twitter was talking to me that he looks like a shell of himself. I, I don't necessarily disagree, but he's still third in expected fantasy points and looks like a positive regression candidate to me. I'd like to see his salary a little bit lower. That would make him really easy to play, but I'm still going to get there. I'm still going to have stacks especially now that they've moved down our top stacks rankings and they're less popular. I'm going to go there against a Packers defense who I'm just not scared of. I think that's a great way to look at it regarding just the ceiling here for, for the, for Patrick Mahomes and company. I, I wanted to mention something I pointed out on yesterday's ownership show. I actually don't have much fear about Derek Gore in this offense. And, and I'll tell you why. Yes, he had a great drive and scored, and that was great. But he didn't see a single target in the passing game. Neither did Jarek McKinnon. Only Daryl Williams got any involvement in the passing game. Six for 61. He still had 19 looks on the game. He still played his normal amount of snaps. So while, yeah, it's not great that he isn't the only running back getting any touches, he was the only one getting any targets. He still played 64% of snaps, which is the same he played last week. I'm actually not that worried about Daryl Williams. 5,700 against Green Bay in a spot where they're touchdown favorites. I'm going to have some tournament shares of him. My guess is that he is going to be, what's his own? It's got to be low. It's got to be yeah, low. It's probably, it's yeah, 7%. It mm -hmm. I really yeah, don't have fair. an issue with it. I mean, I, I, I'm not particularly concerned about Derek Gore, but uh, he's not a priority for me. Just wanted to point out that if you're writing off Daryl Williams completely because Derek Gore had a nice drive, it might it might be an oversight. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's coming in uh, running back 10 right now in our projected ownership, and he's running back nine in expected fantasy points. Yeah, it's a process play. They're touchdown favorites. They're gonna they're probably going to be in a game script where they can utilize the running back and he's the most valuable one. All right, Matt, you ready to close this one out? Let's do it. One game to go. We got 112 likes, almost 300 people watching. You guys stick around to the end. It's phenomenal. We're going on almost two hours. Jordan Klein, appreciate you, man. I know this is a, this one is, this is a long show. Very long show. I usually lose my voice for two days after this, Matt. 
We've got on the <laughs> slate to close this out, the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, 46 point total Cardinals Cardinals laying a point on the road. I don't think Kyler Murray plays personally. Maybe I'm wrong. He was spotted in a walking boot yesterday, though, clearly not practicing. That doesn't seem to be a great sign going into Sunday. No, it doesn't. And I'm, you know, I'm really surprised to see this spread so close. And it probably has to do with the fact that Vegas has already sort of factored in the fact that we might not see Murray in this game. But I, I was getting excited about playing the Arizona offense this week, assuming Murray was going to find a way to play again. I, I just felt like we, you know, maybe not DeAndre Hopkins, but if Murray doesn't play, I almost want nothing to do with this game. It just looks like a really kind of a slob of a game, maybe a little Chase Edmonds, maybe a little James Connor, but what can we really expect with Colt McCoy under center for Arizona? Nothing. I mean, it's going to be ugly, man. It might be a Chase Edmonds game. That's, that's the first the way I saw it. Yeah. His projections are ahead of salary right now, 5,300. But it's one of those things where, like, is Chase Edmonds in a game against San Francisco? Granted, San Francisco is just an average defense. Uh, is Chase Edmonds with Colt McCoy at the helm really capable of producing a ceiling game that you have to have in tournaments at 5,300? I don't think you know, so. I think 16 points for 3x that he can get there but can he really get to another 10 26 30 points i don't think so no i don't that's how i see it you're probably right if do you think murray plays though because if you think he plays then then we could talk about some other options on this team but i mean deandre hopkins only played 24 percent of snaps last week dealing with that that injury who knows if he's active this week AJ Green got lost inside of the end zone. Is he staring at UFOs or something when that ball came to him? I, I don't. There's so many pass catching options on this team. You have so many question marks. I mean, this is really a game that's better just almost, or at least on the Cardinals side, almost better left for Sunday when we have more news. Yeah, I agree with that. And what was the worst Week Eight end zone interception play? Was it that turnaround bonkers play at the end of? Green Bay, Arizona, or was it the jump pass from Mahomes that hit that tipped off somebody, hit McKinnon in the face? He easily could have come down with a touchdown. That's neither here. That was nor bad. There. Yeah, I, I'm seeing the same thing you are. Hopkins with a projection well below salary base expectations. Same with Christian Kirk. AJ Green on the COVID list right now. Sackerts once again projection below salary base expectations. We got to go all the way down to Rondale Moore at 4,200 on DraftKings for a player who has projections ahead of their salary base expectations. In fact, I actually kind of like Rondale Moore as a sneaky tournament play, even if we don't see Kyler Murray, because doesn't he feel like the type of player who that they could create seven to eight looks for? That's a good point. In the short area. That is a very going. good point. Yeah. Like, just let him, let's see what he can do on a day where we know we're not going to be able to throw downfield. Yeah, and, and I'm just looking at the projected ownership. No one's going to be on him. 3.9% up a little bit, but still, I, that's a good way to differentiate yourself this week. I'm with you. Now, wrapping it up on the opposite side, Debo Samuel, uh, looks like he'll be okay. I, I think we're going to get Kittle back this week as well. He's at least interesting to me. At 5,200, I don't think it's the craziest thing. 
if he's active and he's not limited, he still has a very high ceiling. He's still a great pass catcher who, you know, they will look to downfield, even if they weren't early in the year. And then Eli Mitchell, Matt, I mean, listen, the guy has 18 plus, he has a hundred yards and a touchdown in three of the five games he's played. He's not involved as a pass catcher. He's behind Jermichael hasty and even Kyle use in that phase, but He's getting a ton of opportunity on the ground. He's looked good. He's averaging almost five and a half yards per carry this season. There are definitely some bright spots with Eli Mitchell. Yeah, I agree. I just want to say there are two things that make this really hard for me to go back to the well with Eli Mitchell. One, we got to give credit where credit is due. The Arizona defense has really stepped up year over year in points allowed per play this season. They're second best in the NFL in that metric right behind Buffalo. And they're also second best in the NFL in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, although they are a considerable, considerable amount below Buffalo in that metric. So they're a distant second, still second. That's tough. And then the other part where we have so many weapons coming back into the fold for San Francisco, Jermichael Hasty came back. Jeff Wilson Jr. might be active this week. And as you mentioned, Kittle is also back. So I worry that there is a bit of a touch squeeze. But still, the, the man led the league in rushing last week. So you can go back to the well. And here's what I would love to see. I would love to see him maintain that usage because I think he's deserved it. The late sixth-round pick out of Louisiana Lafayette has just completely outplayed the earlier-round pick, Trey Sermon, which is just, from a football fan standpoint, something I love to see. We got to go. Is there anybody else here that you, we actually like legitimately have to go because we got to be out <laughs> at five of, uh, are there any top options for Sam for San Francisco to wrap this up? Matt? Go for it with Debo Samuel, high salary, but projection right in line with salary base expectation. You can play him if he's healthy. You guys are the greatest. Thanks as always for hanging out on your way out, hit the thumbs up, subscribe to the channel and join the team. Awesome. if you'd like to, but Nevertheless, follow Matt at Draftaholic, myself at Lafayette underscore D. And shout out to your boy, Jordan Klein, putting in the hours today, producing these shows. We'll, guys, we'll catch you guys back here tomorrow for On the Contrary. It all culminates Sunday with a four-hour live stream leading you up to lock for week nine. Appreciate you hanging out as always. Peace. See ya. See ya. <laughs>